0: to 10 PM. The Viewpoint with Asraf Gada. The Viewpoint with Asraf Gada.
1: I'm trying to find your Twitter handle. I'm talking live on there. What's your What's your Twitter handle, Khotsi? Khotsi22.
0: Uh, no, oh, Twi- the one that yeah. I can't find it. What does the 22 <laughs> stand for? Everyone keeps asking me that. It was really at the time where putting numbers at the end of your your Twitter handle was a thing, and then it quickly fell out of fashion, and now I'm stuck with it. So Okay, there you are. Khotsi <laughs> Chikani,
1: if 22 means anything, is my... <laughs> Big hitter for the night. He'll spend one hour talking to us to talk about many things, all concerning our country. And maybe I'll touch on what happened in Parliament today. Hopefully, you've, you've checked oh, yeah, the no goings on in Parliament there. He's written a book, <laughs> okay, uh, called "Breaking a Rainbow, Building a Nation." I'll repeat it because I think it's a very interesting name there. "Breaking" our title, "Breaking a Rainbow, Building a Nation," and. Essentially, it's around the politics around hashtag fees must fall. So, great of you to come in and spend your your time with us. First of all, let's get to the
0: title. Yeah. Uh, Why did you choose that title? Well, the original title was really horrible. (laughs) Which was? The the original title was hashtag everything must fall. Okay. Um, And I was told very quickly that that is too negative. And I I quite agreed with it because… I don't want everything to fall. That wasn't the purpose of roads must fall. It wasn't the purpose of fees must fall. And Breaking a Rainbow Building a Nation came down to this idea that this, this mirage of the rainbow nation kept coming up in discussions among students of how it's such an impediment to having a real conversation about race, class, and gender in the country because it forces you to say... We must all be in Kumbaya mode, mm-hmm. and as soon as you do that, it means that any form of contestation from the get-go gets neutered to an extent but so so, let me tell you
1: my I mean, I saw this title a few weeks ago, and they're like, yeah, so I'm the rainbow nation i'm i'm the I'm the utopian, and I'm saying, what is this guy saying? We should break <laughs> the nation break the rainbow to build a nation, which in simple terms, people listening in would understand it to say, don't be more than one." one of these different groups that makes up South Africa, just be one grouping, and then you'll build a nation. Yeah. I mean, does it come across like
0: that? Is that how you want it to be? So a lot of people tell me that you hate the rainbow nation metaphor. And I say, actually, no, I love it. Uh, For me, and I explain it in the book, that the rainbow nation metaphor is probably the best way to describe the current state of our country. Mm -hmm. So whenever you look at a rainbow, very simple, seven colors that run in parallel with one another into infinity Mm -hmm. and that often describes the way we think about integration that different races different classes don't truly integrate we're just next to each other barely touching and barely truly understanding where we stand who we are recognizing our differences however and this is the way i think i like my metaphor now (laughs) is between these colors there's always this white hue so any space of integration is always dependent on some sort of white space of how to use that phrase, some sort of determination that if white people feel comfortable here, then it's true integration. If white people don't feel comfortable here, then it's a, it's a weird, it's just people in a room and it's never truly recognizing people's differences. And I think in that way, the Rainbow Nation makes complete sense. Um, and then we should use it if we understand it that way. But understanding it that way makes you realize that that's not the type of country that you want to live in. But do you think it's true? That means in terms of coming together post-94
1: or from 94 onwards, it would come together so long as there were spaces, as you said, in terms of these lines between the different yeah. colors for, for white people. Do you, yeah. do you think
0: that's true? Yeah, think about the highlight moments of integration in the country. right? The Rugby World Cup. So I, I talk about the Rugby mm-hmm. World Cup. I wasn't here in the country at the time. I was a young child back then. Um, But the stories that you hear is this is dominated. Rugby at the time was a white sport. When you talk about the Soccer World Cup, here's another example. The Soccer World Cup was a place for all South Africans to come together. But certain locations of stadiums were shifted purposefully away from traditionally black areas. So I think about the decision not to go to the Athlone Stadium and build a brand new stadium Mm -hmm. um, in, in Cape Town. And when you think about there was this fascinating report um, that I read a couple of years ago, that's in this book as well, where it's said that moments where South Africans integrate the most in this country are sporting events and shopping centers. And it makes you wonder, well, that's bizarre. Why are those the only places? And when white people do come, and I, I don't want to vilify white people anyway, but when white people do enter a black space, it's usually a curated black space. It's not the true experience. It is the township tour, or it is, can I go with my black friend into a black area as long as you show firm mm, into mm, it? Mm, mm, and so when you set those preconditions, that's what I describe as those white hues. It's not something that is fundamentally bad, but it's one that skews the type of integration that we see.
1: Okay, I'm gonna certainly engage, allow you know you to call in. Yep. So you can engage anytime 089-1104207. 0891-104-207. Um uh, that's to call in. If you need to tweet us, hashtag SAFM Viewpoint, uh, and then tweet and tag me, Ashraf Ganda. tag SAFM Radio, and then also tag Hot C22. Yeah. K-G-O-T-S-I, Hot 22 You'll pick up uh, his uh, Twitter handle as well. L- let's we- We're going to come back to the Rainbow Nation yeah. just now. Let's get to Fees Must Fall. Yeah. Okay. So you were at UCT, I understand, around that time.
0: Yes, right? I was at UCT. But, but
1: let's get to the, the report card. <laughs> Did Fees Must Fall... I want to put it on video as well, <laughs> but it's very important. The evidence. Uh, I'm thinking about people like uh, Siswe Mpofu Walsh and <laughs> uh, Shaira Kala and Persia Hassan
0: and Tsebot Lamini uh, listening to you. Yeah. Did it work, all things considered? Yeah, in terms of changing the conversation, in terms of making people realize that the current state of the university system in South Africa before FISMA's fall was completely unsustainable. It is a system that said, we acknowledge there's inequality in the country. We acknowledge that the majority of people who go to university are coming from poor working class, if not poverty stricken backgrounds. And we acknowledge that the majority of people who are being excluded for university are not being excluded because they're not intelligent. But the highest rate of exclusion is because of finances. Yet we say they must still pay. It, it's a weird situation to be in, and it was just completely unsustainable. Even vice-chancellors years mm-hmm. ago said, this situation's going to explode. So I think must fall was good in the first regard of saying, there are certain situations in society that we need to open our eyes up to, to essentially realize that this is an untenable situation. I think the second victory was giving discourse or the vocabulary to students to understand the plight that they're going through in particular, previously advantaged universities. Mm, mm, mm. So in previously disadvantaged universities, I talk about how fees must fall has been happening at all previously disadvantaged universities for the past two decades. Easy. If a protest is fee related or finance related, in my mind, that is fees must fall. And therefore, there's been a huge war happening in the country, right? The important thing was that previously advantaged universities and making them realize that you are not set apart from this battle. Mm, mm. You are not somehow different from it. But you need to give people the vocabulary as as well as the numbers and the belief that you can actually change something. And my supervisor, so I'm still trying to finish my master's at vets as well. My supervisor made such a fascinating point and said, there's nowhere else in the world where you can find that on a Monday, a group of citizens in the country demanded change from the national government. Mm-hmm. And by that same Friday, obtained that change without a single life being lost. It is really a miraculous thing when you think about it. And that belief that this country can change when people stand up is something that I think some of us might have forgotten. Okay, and in terms of that...
1: that change that re- that request demand yeah what, what let's just understand it. what what was the demand because you were close to the action in cape town others were in Joburg, others were in yeah. Durban. whatever right uh what was that demand ultimately was it as simple as you know no fees or what
0: no this is where so in this book i try and have maybe not a balanced view but i try to be fair mm-hmm. and sometimes i say sometimes students weren't fair on both vice chancellors and weren't fair on the government because we often kept changing the goalposts or shifting the goalposts so originally the demand was we want a zero percent fee increment. Mm-hmm. That was the original demand, and and by that end of the protest in 2015, we achieved that the government came out and said zero percent fee increment. And then the next Monday, a few students woke up and said, "But I I still owe Nesfas forty thousand rand." Mm-hmm. So then we said, "Okay, then we want free education, and dropping all historical debt." And then you realize, well, free education doesn't necessarily solve the system within universe, some of the other underlying problems. So you shift the goalposts again. You say, well, I don't want free education. I want free decolonized education. And the point I was trying to make, at least in this book was, even though we had one central demand, we we're not afraid to shift our demand as the needs needed us to do so. Um, and sometimes that led to some fissures, as some people didn't believe mm. in what we're saying. Um, Sometimes some students said, but you can't keep changing this demand over and over again, we're not going to be credible. Society sometimes really didn't like us doing that. But I think the demand held true and the demand at its underlying notion was the individuals within the university system who shouldn't be barred from gaining education if they're bright students. And the country should respect that, especially due to the type of returns on income you get if you get a university education. You spend lots of time in the book, um, and I'll get to calls just now, you'll spend lots of time yep. in the book
1: about, you know, the backstory around Fees Must Fall. But let, let's get this one, because you, you, yes. you're very clear in your pronouncement, Khotsi um, Chikane, by the way, if you if you tune in late, and never tune in late for the show, <laughs> um, that's... The, the fees must fall movement and and maybe the, the the nationwide interest in it only gained currency when it went to previously advantaged universities yep. is is that is it I mean that's what you say yes is that true or is it and I'm looking at it from a pure marketing point is it not true the other way which is that it gained currency because it was in metropolitan areas where where the media houses and the cameramen are are, are very able to run down there very, very quickly. So, so it's, yeah. it, it, in many ways, it's both things. But the ultimate yeah. reason is not like they're being ignored. But they, there is an issue getting down to Umtata, for example, versus getting down to Wits University or UJ. And as you know, the SABC is smack bang in the middle of the two <laughs> varsities. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, two good examples would be UJ and UWC. Both mm. in Metro... UJ, UWC, and let's throw TUT in there. TUT is a special case, and I can get to that mm-hmm. just now. UJ and UWC... Historically, when it comes to protest action on the campuses, uh, not show not, not to say that media houses don't promote these type of incidences at these universities, but if UCT has a protest the same day as UWC has a protest, UCT will get the highlight. If Vitz has a protest the same day as UJ has a protest, Vitz will be highlighted. Mm, mm. And that showcased during Feesmas fall in a miraculous manner. So at Witz, much of the protests were contained on campus with a few excursions onto the vest of, of Bramfontein. At UJ, there vi- is video evidence, tons of video evidence of... Yeah, I'm not sure if you've ever been shot at by... Thank goodness. (laughs) Um, But police officers, when they shoot with rubber bullets, are either supposed to shoot up into the air or down to the floor. At UJ, there's a video of students at a vigil, right? Just during Christmas 4, who are being harassed by police officers. Eventually, police officers lose their patience, which happens more often than it should. And as students are running away, police officers start shooting directly at them in their backs. And in my mind, I remember seeing that video and being like, this is Mm -hmm. going to be front page news tomorrow morning, because this was a very slow day for Feesmas 4, but that was historically just marginalized, didn't even reach the newspapers. When you look at all the, and this is the beauty of Twitter, when you look at Twitter, you see how how NMMU, how their protests were always pushed to the side. So the way I want to highlight it in the book, I use one chapter. And so in this one chapter, I'm going to show you one day in Feesmas Fall. It starts from 3 a.m. all the way to 11 p.m. Mm-hmm. And the first university that technically started the national protest on that Monday, not to say that vets didn't kickstart off, was Rhodes University.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: Rhodes University was just completely shifted aside. But worse off, the guys who truly started the, the antagonism at Rhodes University was a TVET college in Makanda formerly known as Grahamstown,
1: yeah. mm-hmm.
0: right? And that T-Vet College and the incident that happened there sparked off the first clash between police officers and students in the country. And the question is, why wasn't that talked about? Maybe it's not sexy enough. Maybe UCT and, and vets are the sexy universities, but it becomes a problem. Um, WUSU, so Walter Sisulu University, back in 2013, for all intents and purpose, for an entire year, did not function as a university. And the country didn't bat an eye.
1: Well, we didn't even know. But we don't didn't even we probably know.
0: don't know about it. <laughs> right. More, yeah. more to come. I'll get to callers as well. Oh eight nine one
1: one zero four two zero seven. Breaking a rainbow, building a nation. That's the title of a book, uh, put to be- put together by. Um, Khotsi uh, Chikane uh, when he, and he was a student at UCT at the time of Fees Must Fall, so that's central but it's not just about Fees Must Fall, the hashtag Fees Must Fall, it's about the rainbow nation it's about the country, it's about this thing that he calls coconuts. chapter one is the first thing he talks about and I will raise that as well, you are very very well you're invited to share your viewpoint on the viewpoint. Safari Live returns this Sunday evening at 6.30 on SABC3 Up in the Masai Mara, we're catching up with the North Clans Hyena Soap Opera and the tiny Sausage Tree Lion Cubs. In the Western Kruger, the famous Leopards of Juma are on the hunt. It's live and interactive and you can ask questions in real time using the hashtag Safarilive on Twitter. Join us on the world's largest safari vehicle from the comfort of your own living room this Sunday at 6.30pm on SABC3 now, 0891 104 207. All right, uh, Motikam, uh, with the fees must fall around this very important book, Breaking a Rainbow, Building a Nation. Our guest, the big hitter for the night, Ghetto Chikane. Uh, Jay, in fact, let's get to a voice note first up. Here we are. Trump, I just want to
2: ask this guy, where do they think the money to, to pay these fees is coming from? South Africa has this. Uh, magical figure called government and you must realize if taxpayers are living on debt, there is a problem why are they adding to the problem why are they destroying property and i'm a black black 28 year old and i'll be considered youth i'm studying on a personal loan we have our grandparents and parents who have been blue-collar workers which nc forgot despite them being in the
0: struggle okay that's one thought i'll respond to that yeah, um, it's often a question we got. And one of the things mm. I debated with the Department of Higher Education was, back in 2012, we gave them the figure of free education, the exact figure that they proposed um, off in 2017. Mm-hmm. And the figure was, it will cost you about 40 billion rand to truly okay. do this. Wow. <laughs> and it was almost to the, I think we we're off by 4 billion, which is a lot, but due to inflation, I guess. And we said, how you do it is through these different measures. And one of the big ones was... Students should pay back, but students should pay back if NESFAS is fully functioning at all gas Mm, cylinders. mm, mm, And because NESFAS doesn't function properly, and because NESFAS isn't able to recoup funds of students who were there before, you then have this huge deficit. So I I run through this book of the downfall of NESFAS between mm, 2007 mm, and 2013, and how it exasperates this issue. But I would say to, to... the woman who sent the voice note of, this fight was also for her to essentially say that financial means shouldn't stop you from getting a higher education, especially because, and this is the most fascinating stat, if you were to take one stat out of the book, the most fascinating stat, which every time I read, I still can't fully believe. And when I triple checked it, Mm. I was still shocked that in South Africa, because of the type of inequality that we have, because of the type of society, if you get a higher education qualification, you get the highest returns on your education in the world. It means that if you are able to get out of university with a degree, the chances are most likely, and there are a few exceptions, you will get a job. And the job that you get was, the income that you get is much higher than if you just finished with a matric. But compared to everyone else in the world, you're sitting on top of that list. So it is in our incentive to say, Get them graduating because there's clear signs that these individuals who graduate generate income, and then when they do generate income, you then get that money back to feed back into the system. That was our first protocol down on our list of and things. And it what, never happened. it never happened. Why? What? What? What do you think? I mean, I'm just thinking about NASFIS
1: or Anasfas uh, yeah. almost as like a state-owned enterprise. If you get, I'm yeah. playing with words here, right? Yes. But the fact that so much money could could not be collected over over a decade i mean it's it's, it, it's it's incredible it's shocking and and the fact that whoever was in charge at that time in in the
0: various government departments all the way up to the president why would why do you think that was allowed to happen i think the there was two unfortunate situations one was the new the national i forget the exact phrase but the national credit act so when clever mm-hmm. man was he he changed how you get credit and tightened and yeah credit. right and it it forced Nesfas to change its processes of collecting debt. So that was the first thing. So back in 2006, 2007, Nesfas was collecting over 35% of its debt. Still very low, but still much better than where it ended up a couple years later. Then the second thing was the Department of Higher Education restructured Nesfas because of maladministration within mm. the department. Mm. Now the ideal is when you restructure a government department that it gets better we have a bad habit of restructuring and making them worse in one way or another. And NESFAS just failed to recover from that restructuring and is continuing to fail now in many different ways. They're getting slightly better, um, but they're still failing. And I think the government has to take responsibility. More importantly, Students have to take responsibility because students do also sit on the board of NESFAS. People often forget this. Mm, mm. We do have a seat on that board of NESFAS. And the problem about student politics is that there's a high turnover. It's not like we sit on that board seat for a whole decade. You sit on that board seat for a year and then the new person comes in and a new person comes in. Mm, So mm. we need to really think about how we govern such a board, how students stay represented on that board, and whether we actually have a say. Um, when Nesfa starts falling apart, who should be first and foremost in charge of repairing it and who should take the fall and the responsibility for its failings. Okay, let's get another call here, or the first call besides the voice notes. Jay, you're,
1: you're on the Hi, Jay. Hi, uh,
2: good evening and good evening to Tanya. Uh, Ashraf, we got to find a solution to this uh, phase Must Fall. Uh, uh, we have to now come back to the government if young school girls while still in primary school and high school are having babies now where is the money couldn't the government come to a better education for these youngsters tell them look i'll set aside every month this amount of money don't have babies till you finish metric and get into university that amount of money will be set aside it's almost about 60 000 to 70,000 by the time they finish metric. So, we wouldn't have this problem of fees must fall and destroying and burning and going on rampage. We should be educating and concentrating on the education okay. and school.
1: That, let's get a response. Yes. Thank, thank you for that call, Jay. Right, to respond to that?
0: Yeah, no. I i don't have the stat. So, my training is in public policy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know most public policy literature says that. The, the stats don't prove the point that young girls get pregnant on purpose for whatever particular Absolutely. reason right the stats don't back it however i think she still makes a valid point of this focus on education at a basic level one of the biggest questions we kept getting was but if we give higher education money and basic education is not functioning that's unjust we should fix the basic education system and in my mind i say why have the dichotomy uh, why can't you fund both? Currently, the, con- the government, at least a couple of years ago, used to be the highest um, spender on education per GDP in the world, mm, right? Mm. So throwing more money at the problem for basic education isn't necessarily going to solve the problem. There's a more systemic issue that we need to analyze. And we said, we're going to get there. But we do understand this proper issue, which is systemic and has a very quick solution, an expensive solution. And no student will come out and say free education is very cheap. Um, it's an expensive solution, but it's a solution that we think we can pay back. It's a solution that we think has long term benefits. The other point of and I think both the voice note and the caller both mm. mentioned this. I should probably said now, the, the violence mm. of students. Mm. So mm. one of the chapters I talk about is these violence delights of how violence get misconstrued in different ways. One of the best phrases that the media has and students have and, and mostly lecturers is, the protest turned violent, right? That phrase turned violent usually implies that the students did something wrong. But when you look at fiesmus for 2015, 2016, in particular, in different contexts, it wasn't that students miraculously just said, we're now angry. We're now Mm, going mm. to now start turning things over. There was always uh, an instigating moment. So VIT, for instance, everyone says, oh, VIT students turned over a car. No one talks about how the car plowed into students moments before. Um, People always talk about, oh, at the union buildings, they just started torching dustbins. No Mm. one talks about how the police weren't controlling the crowd at the time. Okay, I I hear you, but notwithstanding that, so let's say there was provocation. Oh, yes. do, do, Do you agree that... That the protest turned violent. I'm yeah, thinking. no. Right. So, so I use this phrase of, so my dad, I mean, let's talk about my dad. And I, mm-hmm. I mentioned my Frank dad. Frank Gigani. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So my dad is probably one of the most peaceful people you'll meet in your entire life. Reverend Frank Gigani, mm. as the title goes. And I talk about in this book of how even my dad, when put in a circumstance of that necessitated a, an extreme reaction, even he thought about turning to violence. Right. In, in that situation was how do you defend your family when you think you're about to lose it all? When you're in extreme situations, people turn to violence as either a defense mechanism, either. So these three, either as a defense mechanism, it's the experience that you have in your livelihood, your lived experience of where you grow up in situations where you're being antagonized, you fight back or purely out of fear. Right, it's not that uh, there are very few, and uh, when I say few, I really mean there's very few students who actively went out to say, "Today we're going to go burn something." And when I say very few, I mean they are there. Right. So when people say, "Oh, mm. the students never burn things," oh, no, that's a lie. There are is. students who go out and say, then, "I purposely." But then what would be the? So, so you gave your dad's example, which is very yeah. interesting. What was
1: your dad's equivalent with the students to say they reached a point where there was sort
0: of everything to lose, and therefore they? They snapped. And that's my words. Yeah. For some people, university is everything to lose. If you can't get out of university and you're going to graduate with the debt that you've collected over those years, you have then lost everything. And when I say you have lost everything for them, it is I can no longer take myself out of my situation I can't take my sister and brother out of my situation. I can't take my mom, my family. I can't take my community out of my situation. I'm going to be stuck where I am because of the nature of the economy that we have that perpetuates poverty if you're mm-hmm. unable to climb out. So for some people, it is that do-or-die situation. For other people, it's it's really scary when police officers point a gun at you. Um, some of us have a... I, I learned whether I have a flight or fight um, uh, gene. Mm, I, yeah. I realize I've got a fight gene, but purely fear-induced. I think about what happened at Parliament and how to, all the chaos. <laughs> when? Oh, <you> then? <laughs> this is then Because there are fights at Parliament today. There's well. always fights yeah. at Parliament, apparently. And I think about how you put people in those intense situations and how someone is supposed to rationally behave. And I think that's the expectation that in a moment of chaos, you're supposed to behave rationally. And in my mind, I say, mm. put yourself in a chaotic moment and tell yourself, in this chaotic moment, I need to convince the other 500 people around me to say, everyone chill out, be rational. But, but the isn't the fear, and, and you know we, we, we do live in a very, very violent society, yep. that, that
1: notwithstanding what you just said, if we agree with what you're saying, and there were, there were fights today at parliament, there was yep. swearing as well, there was uh, oh, people up for up for a fist fight <laughs> as well. If, if if we all say each one reached a point of provocation, then it's okay. And, you know, there's also people who die, there's murders, there's across the board. H- how do we ever get to a level
0: of justifying all of that? By, Are, aren't you, aren't yeah, you doing that? By being able to reflect afterwards. So these very few moments where a chaotic protest that turns violent, either because students turn to violence or police officers turn to violence, where a plenary session wasn't had that night, where students said, was that correct or was that wrong? And I think that's extremely important. That moment to say, Even though we exhibited some form form of violence, can we hold ourselves accountable? And can we hold those particular individuals that force situations accountable as well? And I say this on behalf of students as well as police officers. Police officers have to hold themselves to account as well. When they provoke violence Mm. in a situation, when they're not trained enough, they should hold each other accountable. And I think that happened. And I think students did hold each other accountable, not in all situations. You would have rogue situations as well, and you can't control that. It wasn't a, everyone, I always say, if anyone comes out and says, Must 4 was a well-oiled nationally coordinated protest, I say, I want to see that WhatsApp group that you are part of. Okay, so, so if it was not this well-oiled <laughs> no. coordinated no. national grouping of students, then what was it? There were pockets of groups, so the power of WhatsApp groups is always fascinating. If you're in the right WhatsApp group, you'll believe that I'm part of the the real nationally coordinated body. Mm. But when you see what happens across the country, a lot of the reactions is, Vitz has done something that we didn't expect. We should copy them or we should not do something similar. UP has done something that is quite interesting. We mm. didn't expect mm. them to do that. We should probably text them quickly and ask them. It wasn't that on the night before. And there was one example where that might have been the case but it's very rare that on the night before there was one WhatsApp group that said, at this university, this is going to happen, at this university this is going to happen. It was extremely decentralized, but because of social media, you can communicate very very quickly to understand the context of another situation. Revolution will be tweeted, we'll I think it'll be you, who, who made that point. Just quick quick thought, just let me remind yeah. people, of course, we are
1: chatting, I'm chatting to Khotsi Chikani. who was one of the students around the time of uh, Hashtag Fee, Ms. Foley was based at UCT. Uh, he, he studied at Oxford University, among Other things, and as he made the point about a master of public policy, I mean, that's really the space that he plays in. Uh, Mandela Rhodes Scholar, and one of those (laughs) top 20. uh, 200 young people we need to look out for in the and guardian 2016 so that's a, a couple of years ago and maybe we we'll just throw in that he just happens to be the son of the reverend uh, Frank <laughs> Ciccani 0891 if you wish to engage and share your viewpoint or give your point of it's absolutely fine otherwise hashtag SAFM viewpoint if you are tweeting um, and voice notes of course welcome as always you know that 0614 just keep the voice notes trimmed 30 seconds <laughs> maximum if that's what you're doing let, let 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 me ask you this then. So the leadership, by and large, there were many other universities, but we'll tend to gravitate to two, three of the big, again, the bigger universities, the more well-known ones. Um, What's happened to that leadership? What's your thoughts about the the leadership role? These leaders, um, some
0: of them part of SRCs, others not, uh, played during Fees Must Fall over that period. I think they played extremely important roles in different contexts. Uh, and you can see the different leadership styles. And mm. I'll start with a lesser known example okay. of Stellenbosch University. Stellenbosch University, the year before Fees Fall started, created this group called Open Stellenbosch, which is a... Yeah, yeah. Uh, they would hate me to say this, but was a Rhodes Must Fall derivative that didn't believe fully in Rhodes Must Fall's ideology. Right? They tweaked it. And they were able to successfully have a Fees Fall that predominantly brought all students together. Now, there were certain students who just said, no, 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 we don't want to be a part of it. Mm. But it was the most multiracial fees must fall in the country. People might disagree with that. That would be my opinion. It's a different type of leadership compared to UCT that was extremely racialized at at certain points where it said, no, 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 because of the influence of roads must fall in different ways. That it's black. This is a black student issue. Mm. At WITS, it was fascinating on how You control various different political organizations on campus and still give the persona that you're also nonpartisan. Now, that is a different type of leadership. And I think these individuals are immaculate in how they orchestrated things. They had their faults as well. Mistakes were made. But the type of leaders that came out of Fismas fall, I will always say is this is the generation that 20 years from now, we have to look at and say, I think you're the guys to lead us to the next stage of this country's democracy. Which 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 is a natural segue into, onto next, which is <laughs> um
1: th- there's been an argument, and I forgive my naivety in terms of what happened at UCT. I've got children at, at so I certainly know yes, what's happened no, there. No, that's right. Amongst amongst the people, there's been the accusation around saying nonpendulo in terms of that feature in the um, in the Destiny magazine. I, I sort of understand that, that Shaira Kala was also asked to be on the magazine and she's, she's refused. I'm not sure about that. Yeah. Um, Zemud Lamini is now standing on the ANC Youth League ticket. Uh, Fasir Hassan is part of the ANC election machinery and she yes. won some peace award last week. Yes. Uh, there could be many others I'm missing out on. Okay, uh, You are here in front of us and you've derived <laughs> benefit from that platform in terms of your insight that gives you a book, that gives you a platform to talk to me. So there's been the accusation and some of the leadership Right, Um, have gained from hashtag fees must fall and they've gained
0: personally. What's what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I would agree with it. It, it I'd be naive for me to be like, no, I haven't Mm. gained. I didn't get a book in Mm. any way, Mm. Um, though my situation might be slightly different. I think students have gained in one way or another. The question I always ask is, if a student has gained in one way or another, what do they do with those gains? What do they do with the platform that they now have, with the new megaphone, with the influence? Mm, mm. Do they use that influence continuously for personal gain? Or do they use that influence to say, how do I keep making change in this country? And I think that's how we should judge students who come out, student leaders in particular, who come out of. I think that's a mature way to put it, because I'm thinking about your dad as we talk. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I only know him. Because not because he's a church person. I'm not Christian. So ordinarily, Mm. he wouldn't matter to me. But I know him because of of his stance in the various protests. Yes. So that prominence that he had then gave him a voice. Yes. And a voice that I absolutely respected. So you're saying, what are the things are... So so, so he would gain, but then he used that gain in a very collective, responsible, prominent way. Is that what you're saying?
0: I would throw it out there that if you gain a platform and you don't use it to change this country because you gained it from Fezmus fall is most it was one of the most selfish things you could possibly do as a student leader right and some people might interpret that in different ways of well if i run for political office then that's a selfish thing right people will always and people always make this argument of People who are part of political parties who then went into this non-partisan fees must fall and then went back to their political parties should be vilified. Yeah, now and ask that does come like, through. Yeah, yeah. And I make the question of like, what did you think was going to happen?
1: <laughs> because got, because all
0: these p- people were, were parties into they whether were, it's yes.
1: let's say let's say that's predominantly ANC EFF as well. Yes. Right. We can't
0: expect them to just strip the ideology. No, the, the expectation to essentially say, so people always ask me, like, how do you still support the ANC? And I say, well, the ANC is in my blood. I grew up in it. To ask me now to throw it away because of this fees must fall moment is an unfair question to ask. If you ask me whether I can criticize the party within this context, and I say, yes, let's have that discussion. Right? To say it was just drop my allegiance is another matter. And it's often what gets misconstrued in fees for politics. And I and I tried to unpack this in the book of I, I love this phrase. I thoroughly love party politics because party politics is easy to predict. I have a general idea how a party will behave in a certain situation. I know what their policy stance will be. It is very rare for a party to surprise me.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: People politics is probably one of the most frustrating forms of politics because you could have someone fundamentally disagreeing with you, not because they ideologically are opposed, but because they just don't like you on the day. And often those two got misconstrued with each other. So often you'll have such a person saying, I'm vilifying you because you're part of this political party, not because you're part of that party, but just because they just don't like you on Mm, that particular uh, day Um, or they have a personal antagonism with you. And those type of politics often got confused in Fees Must Fall and Roads Must Fall and led to some of the fissures that you see playing out.
1: We'll talk about the coconuts next together with my guest uh, Hotsi Chikani, who was the author of Breaking a Rainbow, Building a Nation, very much around the politics behind hashtag Fees Must Fall. This week in Justice Prevails, playing with fire. That brother of mine is a
2: worry. No, it's true, Courtney. He's sometimes like a teenager. I'm worried stiff. You know, most of my friends would say it's male menopause. You know, midlife crisis. They start jawling. It's just playing with fire. When it comes, you put the bag with money at the back of the lift. Understand? Yes. And then when will George be released? Hello? Hello! Sunday
1: evening at half past eight, courtroom drama in our weekly series Justice Prevails. So, yes, an interesting, uh, uh, in fact, I'll pick out those tweets in just a uh, a second or two. So, here you are. Uh, In a challenging world, it takes a village to raise a child. Now, we know that, right? So, join the Each One Teach One community on SABC 2, Thursdays, 10.30 a.m., to share the experiences of families, educators, and learners who have found the positive power inside of them, tapping into their own potential to build their self-worth. Each One Teach One, sharing, learning, empowering together, brought to you by the SABC Education Enriching Minds, Enriching lives here,
0: there, and everywhere. SAFM, one oh five point five FM in Tabazimbi.
1: There's a tweet from uh, Imbouille Seri or, or Luazi Sommier saying, the social benefits of free education that comes back in the creation of broader tech base as one with a lesser skilled and lesser paid population, fees must fall, became a movement of breaking social cycle of poverty. I think you may well uh, agree with that. Let, let's quickly then talk about, you mentioned that many of the leaders of fees must fall, look out for them in 20 years' time. Yeah. Are, are you satisfied that the leaders who are, and and I'm talking about those, are more prominent than others. Unfortunately, that's just the way the world is. Are are you satisfied that they're taking on roles that they will impact on society very, very strongly? And they may be doing different things.
0: Yeah, they could be. So one of the most fascinating ones, and I keep making this point um, quite recently, was, and it's only because I've now left university, Mm. though my supervisor shouldn't hear me saying that, is we fought a fight in university, that we imagined that we could win. Mm-hmm. There are certain student leaders who are now entering a different world of the country that I don't think they believe they can win, which is corporate SA, which is a completely different type of enemy to fight. And I think there are student leaders who are entering that space, who are actively engaging. There are student leaders who are entering the NGO space currently, whether it's equal education, whether it's right to know, who are actively saying, We like the way that you work, but there's certain things that we think you should change, right? So even the gold star NGOs are being taught through FISMA's four tactics. I think in formalized politics, you definitely see this influx of students going through, right? And you can see how they are starting to influence in one way or another. It's quite small right now. Mm. Example of, of the influence? So in my mind, I think about some of the students who write for, so there's a fantastic book that was written last year um, about the woman experiences at Witt, um and how, and one particular student, I'm not sure if I should say her name, who's writing a master, who I hope is still writing her master's paper on the role of females in the EFF mm-hmm, yeah. and how they should still be fighting for their space and the experiences of that, right, of making sure that that ideology filters through. I see it coming through the way Cyril Ramaphosa speaks, No president in this country would talk about um, female inequality using the same language that he's using currently because that language comes straight from Fismis IV. You can see that seeping through into our society. You can see it seeping through in how university councils form themselves. University students who are on councils now have the language to say the type of racism that exists in academia has to stop. We couldn't explain it before. Now we can. And you see that influence playing Bearing fruits with the more with more amount of black academics now coming mm-hmm. out of those ranks, and that's due to students being in particular spaces, and most importantly, not that you're a fantastic leader, not that you can mobilize a thousand people or you can speak into a microphone and you know wax lyrical, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. simply because that experience gave you the tools and language to better understand your circumstances as well as better argue with someone who doesn't see it, your it point. So with that So with that in mind let, let me then ask you this. Uh, so one thing is
1: access to education which I think yep. I mean if we never spoke about it 5 years ago it's absolutely everybody knows what fees must yep. fall so I think that's remarkable. Yes. The next thing is so the adversity. The next thing is the quality of education and we often now talk about uh, whether the education whether they're going 3 years, 4 years, 5 years, 7 years whatever whether they're getting the right type of education. As delivered by universities, what's what's your thought? Is someone who's been at UCT, who's been at yeah. at Oxford, you've been everywhere. You <laughs> you're the coconut,
0: and we'll get to the, yeah, coconut, the coconut in a moment. Uh, yeah. What's your what's your thoughts on that? So. There's this buzzword going through universities, a very good buzzword, not buzzword in the bad way, called decolonization. Mm-hmm. You have to decolonize the curriculum. And often people think of it that way. And I take a very different stance on decolonization from a lot of my peers as well. So a lot of people see it as either oh, you're trying to make the curriculum more black and African by adding more African authors at the expense of European white authors. And the other viewpoint is the flip side of you're getting rid of the sciences and you're getting rid of the white European philosophers and the contributions mm. that they've made to the field. I say you know, both arguments don't kind of sit well with me. For me, decolonization is, for whatever reason, university stop saying we want the best arguments to win. And we're arbitrarily placing certain arguments on pedestals without the necessary backing above others. And I said, that type of system creates a low-quality system of university engagement. If you want true university engagement, you say, no form of knowledge is the arch-type form of knowledge. Mm -hmm. No form of knowledge is completely untouchable. Right? If you can prove, and it's why when you, even the sciences, the whole logic of testing hypothesis mm-hmm. is not to test that something is true, but to test that it can't, it's not failing, if that makes sense, right? Because nothing is fully true until you can find something that counters that argument. And that's the search of knowledge. And, and do you find that... Too
1: often we, we well I certainly you know I'm part of a movement called Champion South Africa and one yes. of the things that, that irritates me is we we do use the USA as the as the paradigm for everything. Yes. And some may uh, say, well, that because it's true, but we'd like to have that change. But do, do you find there's this acceptance of a Western standard as it must work because it's been adopted in the West yes. um, as 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 what we all do?
0: Yeah. And, and and for me it is even if the Western argument is fantastic why wouldn't you listen to a counter-argument, right? Because you don't know if the counter-argument is going to be good or not if you don't even bother to listen to it. And I say that type of engagement doesn't make sense. It's what arbitrarily privileges some sort and form of knowledge that happens to be Western. Now, my issue is then I started studying decolonization. I realized mm. the Latin American authors were having the same privileges. of, But why do Latin American <laughs> authors... Arbitrarily get privileged over African authors, and this cycle can keep on continuing as long as you accept that I am willing to challenge all forms of knowledge in being able to form my own form of thought without someone saying this is standard, just believe in it, and use that to base all your. And that's your definition of decolonization, and and that's my definition of decolonization. If you have that side, that type of pure pursuit of knowledge you then get the quality of instruction because the quality of instruction will never be repetitive because a lecturer is constantly saying that I need to constantly be checking my own bases of knowledge. I need to be constantly looking for new arguments against my view to sharpen my view. Often people say, this is my view and I'm going to find new arguments to back it up rather than how can I challenge this? How can I sharpen mm, my good argument? Good point, yeah. More to come.
1: Breaking a rainbow, building a nation uh, with, the, with the author of the book. He's a young, he's a young South African, Khojci Chikani, and maybe you're going to look out for him in terms of where he goes. There's another a point that the cost of loss of life and destruction of property are not acceptable. Uh, surely there was there was another method from, from Kay. You want to just pick up on that? I mean, we've touched on it already. Yeah. Just cost of um, uh, loss of, well, I'm not too sure about loss of life here with, with, If its fees must fall, no. No. There was
0: one person who passed away through a complete freak accident through a fire extinguisher. It was a worker. It was a complete... And then one student who died at TUT this year uh, because of police actions and police becoming quite reckless. But to that particular tweet, I would say, again, the protests have been happening for the past 20 years to no avail. Absolutely no avail. And the question is... Why did South Africa become comfortable with perpetual protests by individuals saying we want to live a better life? When did we become comfortable with the idea that we can have a service delivery protest every single day and that Mm. becomes the norm? Mm -hmm. And the question should be asked of, if you say, because people often think like, oh, we just became angry over two weeks. No, I mean... I went into university and found this fee issue and started fighting the fee issue by the midway of my first year. And that was 2011, right? So 2011, so, every single year, I found myself marching to parliament and saying, parliament, this makes absolutely no sense. We just didn't report on it, that's all. <laughs> here's, a, here's another voice note. Greetings, this is Jabuchilani in Imkondo. My question to your guest is mm. this one that free education is it for everyone or is it for all people who cannot afford it or is it for everybody else including the rich thank you okay got that thank you yeah that is a that's probably the gold standard question Mm -hmm. right one that i fought with my own colleagues about for the longest time of do you give free education to every single person in the university even the student who went to michael house mm, where mm, michael mm. house's tuition is, more, more is much more than vastly why should they get free education um over the student who's coming from mtata and can't afford their fees at all let alone pay for michael house in any type of way my old argument used to be Trust subsidize I said, make sure that the super rich in the university pay extra more in order to pay for the poor in the university. Okay. Let's, right. That let's, used to be my argument. Let's talk in the next few minutes. Yeah. About about where South
1: Africa is headed from a yes. from a young person's perspective, but but throw in this coconut
0: and maybe yes. describe what coconut means because it may not be what people think it means. What's yeah. a coconut? So coconut in this country is usually used in a quite a derogatory way mm. that you're black on the outside, but deep down you're really just a white person, mm. right? You behave white, you talk white, you've got white privileges. Therefore, we are an other within the black community, right? Uh, that's usually the way it's mm. been used. Mm. I try and repurpose this phrase, and it's completely based on pan- Ashay Chukumate's Ruth First Lecture a couple of years ago, where she essentially equated coconuts in the country as a political grouping, a political grouping that has certain political capital that they can take into different spaces. And I thought that was a fascinating way to look at it. So I use that same argument to say, Coconuts in South Africa are a political grouping that you have a, have to pay attention to. They are the one one of the few groupings, and there will be a lot of people who hopefully will resonate with this. Who on a Friday night can go to Zone Six in Soweto, on a Saturday morning find themselves in neighborhood market, in the afternoon find themselves in <laughs> Maboneng, yeah. right, and then the next morning find themselves in their church in Soweto, right after at some point spending a rooftop night in Sandton. Mm-hmm. There are mm-hmm. very few people who can navigate all those spaces and never truly feel uncomfortable in either one of them. And, and they all have one thing in common, social capital. And they all have that social capital. And some of them have economic capital. And the mistake is, if you're a coconut, you must be rich. And I said, oh, no, 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 no. Some people can carry that social capital and economic capital and utilize it in a space. And the question is, is what we were talking about before, if you're in a space like that, How do you use your political capital? Sometimes coconuts will use it to keep benefiting themselves. But you have this increasing trend of coconuts essentially saying the way the system is set up is even if we were trying to use this platform to uplift ourselves, we we would still be stuck in a situation that because we're black in this country, there are certain advantages that we won't reach. And the decision gets made of, am I comfortable with that situation and the privileges I have? Or am I willing to say enough's enough with the space? I want to change. So it. What, what then is the role of these uh, of, of these coconuts? Because uh, you're
1: one of them by, by your definition, yeah. right? Um, and, and, and many other people we may be familiar with. So, so what would their role then be in, in South Africa? This is very really important for Walsh because I'm just <laughs> thinking now. Yeah. I mean, all of you have something in common. You have parents or family who have established names that opens up doors for you, right? I mean, there's no question about that, right? What what then do you do? What what is
0: their role in this country? So uh, maybe I should expand it a bit more because I don't want people to think of it as, oh, if you come from like a political family, you're you're a coconut. So one of the things Mm. that sparked this book was I looked at, someone just mentioned and said, I won't mention their name, but just said, this particular student leader comes from one of the top private schools in the country. Mm-hmm. So that sparked my imagination I was, well. How many other student leaders come from private yeah, schools? Yeah. And so many do. So many people, so many student leaders, prominent ones come either from a, pri- a really good private school or a really good model C school, right? So it's it's quite an expansive group where they come from. Sometimes they speak with a twang. Sometimes they can change the twang into the comrade <laughs> accent, depending <laughs> on the situation, right? Yeah. And I think the role that they play is to push the revolution as far as they can, but be able to be reflexive of, if I take this revolution to its logical conclusion, I will then lose the privileges that I have in society now. Mm-hmm. And they have to be reflexes of when they've reached that point and whether they are honest to everyone else who's following them, because people tend to follow these students of, I don't think I can take this to the logical conclusion without betraying you or making that decision of, I am willing to lose it all. What's, what's the logical conclusion? S- the change of systemic oppression in this country. And in order to do that, you have to say, but those who have certain means to capital, and I don't mean capital to essentially say, oh, I'm a Marxist now. Mm. I mean, certain means to access of economic means in this country that is arbitrarily uplifted if you reach a, thir- a certain threshold. Are you willing to say I'm willing to get rid of that To change the okay.
1: situation well, We need to get your dad in As a big hitter One day And then <laughs> another day
0: And listen to this Another
1: day The two of you in oh, And wow. getting two generations Talking and, and grappling with issues Because you say <laughs> In the opening chapter uh, That you disagree with him On many issues You're critically yeah. pretty, pretty, critical Even on Nelson Mandela But here's the important one About your dad His work in building A Rainbow Nation
0: Is at odds with my desire to To break it Yeah Explain that Yeah so my dad comes from a government background where they came from a broken society. And after 1994, they felt that they had put it together, right? And when you started realizing certain things are wrong, you're not going to break it again because you saw where you just Mm -hmm. came from. So the idea was, how do you fix the little pieces? So I say that he's more reformist in that sense. And I don't use that term to say, oh, it's a bad thing. It was, we built this thing, we've put it together. There's certain things wrong with it, we now want to piece it back together in small ways. I come back and I say, I mean, thanks. Thanks for that. that is, it's re- I really appreciate mm-hmm. it. But the way that you're taping it up is creating bigger problems. And now I'm looking at it, and to keep taping it up would create a bigger problem. So let's start again. Not in the sense of having a civil war, but by having an honest conversation to say, how do we take this apart piece by piece, right, fully To understand all the individual pieces, to then understand how do we adequately put this back together. Okay, so we got thirty seconds. Thirty seconds. What's the one thing you'd want us to do that this country needs addressing, like ASAP. ASAP. So in thirty seconds, I compare everything—the transition in the country between old and new—as a relay race. Right, and the old generation ran their leg of the relay race, and the most. Awful thing about a relay race is when you drop the baton. Anyone who's run a relay race, if you drop the baton, it's the worst moment. We need to stop arguing about who dropped the baton. And we need to pick it up and continue the race. We have dropped the baton. I think we've dropped the baton. (laughs) Let's leave it at that and pick up that baton. Thank you for your time. There you are.
1: uh, Chotsi Ciccadi. Now the book, Breaking a Rainbow, Building a Nation. Lots of things within the book I didn't want to read because the plan is for you to buy the book. And you absolutely need to buy the book. If nothing else, for the cover, because it's probably the most colorful book cover I've seen in a (laughs) long, long time. Get the book. I'm sure it's available just about every place that that you you need to get it, including on Amazon, I I understand, as per your tweet or Instagram post that I just so, um, saw. Thank you for your time. Most appreciated. Yeah. We're going to talk, by the way, about graduates not getting jobs as per today's protest. Ironically, in a moment, let's get the news now. It's nine o'clock.